0: Today we we come to church to celebrate a different holiday, um, the Epiphany of the Lord, which serves as as, uh, Tracy said, as the end of the Christmas season in the church, which if you're wondering is why we still have all of our decorations up. Epiphany comes from the Greek word for an appearance or a manifestation of God. It's traditional this day to reflect on the Holy Family's encounter with the wise men. Now that our presents have all been opened for some time, many of our decorations and trees at home have come down, uh, we can now focus, I think, on the true gifts that we've received at Christmas through the Christ child who was born. And much like uh, the, the beloved Jelly of the Month Club, these are gifts that keep giving, each week during the season of Epiphany, we're going to explore a different gift that the Christ child brings into our lives, and we'll reflect on how we can appreciate these gifts that strengthen us throughout the Christian life. The season and series begins, of course, with the visit of the Magi, who themselves bring Jesus' gifts, but are surprised that they too receive a gift, as Matthew's first witnesses to the newborn Savior. I invite you to listen now with open hearts and minds as we encounter God's word together from the second chapter of Matthew, beginning with the first verse. In the time of King Herod, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, asking, "'Where is the child who has been born King of the Jews? For we have observed his star at its rising, and have come to pay him homage.'" and having been warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they left for their own country by another road. This is the word of the Lord, and thanks be to God. Well, now that we've come through the gift-giving season, I think it's a safe time for us to look back and think about the sometimes awkward moments that come with gift-giving. There are those moments when someone opens a gift that they will almost surely be returning to the store the next day. Trust me, I worked at Target at the customer service desk (laughs) throughout high school, and I know that the day after Christmas is one of the busiest days of the year. As a kid, I recall that it seemed like every child had some relative that just couldn't grasp how old a kid was. I remember my little brother continued getting Barney-related gifts well past the appropriate age for such an interest. Writer and former moderator of the General Assembly of uh, the Presbyterian Church, Bruce Ray's Chow, whose writing actually has inspired this sermon series, reflects how so much of gift-giving is awkward. And that's largely in part to our hesitation to receive gifts born out of love, joy, and generosity. In our world, which is chock full of cynicism, we often have trouble receiving a simple compliment or even an affirmation due to our own insecurities, our own skepticism. The, The most awkward gift moments, though, have to be when you receive an unexpected gift and you're unable to reciprocate it. This seems to be the case in our lesson today as the Magi arrive in Bethlehem to bring gifts and to pay homage to the newborn king. Though heavily depicted in nativity sets and pageants, Matthew tells us very little about these wise men. He doesn't tell us what their names are, though tradition has attributed various ones over the years like Caspar, Melchior, and Balthazar. He doesn't even tell us how many of them there were, though we usually depict three of them to coincide with each gift, and all we really know about their heritage is that they came from somewhere east of Judea. The most convincing evidence we have from scholars today tells us that these kings were likely from Persia, and they carried the role of the fire priest called the magi. All of this, though, Despite the lack of detail, all of this for Matthew is a really big deal. This Messiah, the Savior, the one who God's people in Israel have been waiting for, he's first recognized and adored by who? Gentiles, outsiders to the Hebrew faith. And this for Matthew will foreshadow the spreading of the gospel beyond Israel after Christ's resurrection. The Magi were among kings in the social hierarchy of this day. And the Magi, like the Israelites, also expected a savior. And when they saw the star, they decided to follow it to the land where it would stop. So they stop in Bethlehem where the star ascended and they visit the Holy Family. They offer the Christ child three gifts appropriate for a king. So in other words, these kings made an offering among equals. It's a sort of gesture you see on any kind of diplomatic visit. When a president visits another president or leader from another country, they often exchange gifts. Matthew tells us what these gifts were, but not necessarily why these gifts were given. Those scholars, too, have attempted to find connections and meanings with them. First, we add gold, which is a precious metal reserved for royalty, but also uh, used throughout the Jerusalem temple. Frankincense, a valuable and sweet-smelling incense, was often used in temple worship. Finally, though, there's myrrh. And uh, actually, if you go up to our little nativity thing afterwards, there are three little chests that have little pieces of gold, frankincense, and myrrh if you want to check them out following the service while gold and frankincense were desired items, myrrh wasn't so much the case. There was a great meme going around on social media leading up to Christmas that depicted the three wise men leaving the holy family, and the one who brought the myrrh says to the other two, hey guys, I thought we agreed on a $10 limit. (laughs) See, myrrh was also an incense used in worship, but for one, it didn't smell as, as great as frankincense and others. Two, it was used as an ointment for wounds, and uh, is even said to be used for uh, burial rituals, leading some scholars to claim, as Miss as Tracy did with our children, saying that this foreshadows Jesus' death uh, and a self-giving death for us on the cross. All of these gifts were unexpected by the Holy Family. Can you just imagine the surprise of Mary and Joseph and wonder how they would have responded to these three strangers that obviously were important people in their place giving gifts and paying homage to this newborn child? How would they respond? All of these gifts were fitting for a king, but they also foreshadowed just what kind of king Jesus will be one whose reign will be spiritual, not political. A king whose power is gained not through military strength or prowess, but through humble self-giving on the cross. So why did these magi, these wise men, come to Bethlehem in the first place? They saw a star, perhaps a comet, but nonetheless, they go and upon arriving in Judea, their presence becomes known. And King Herod becomes nervous because they're making claims that a new king has been born. Whereas Herod calls himself king. He's the the, uh, Roman-appointed leader of Judea. It's not really clear at first whether the Magi intend to abide by the king's request to go and, and report back to him where the child is. But after seeing the child where the stars stop, the Magi were forever changed by this encounter with the divine. They are forever changed by coming face to face with God's own light and love. After being warned in a dream, they take a different way home to avoid seeing Herod and giving up the family's location. So the story begins with the Magi bringing unexpected gifts to the Holy Family, but it ends with the realization that they too have received an unexpected gift. They've come face to face with God's own light and love. No wonder they have to go home a different way. Their lives are changed forever by this divine encounter. It's interesting that we hear nothing else about these magi after this account. All we hear is they go home by another route, and that's it. These folks are first in Matthew's gospel to bear witness to the Christ child, yet they exit stage left, never to be heard from again. Do they tell everyone in their country about this child? Do they tell everyone about what God is doing through him? Do they share news about Herod's own fear and insecurity? It seems to me that Matthew wants us to put ourselves in the shoes of these magi for a moment, to imagine that you've received this unexpected gift from an encounter with Christ, that you've glimpsed this divine light. Because, friends, the reason being is that as the day of Epiphany reminds us every year, we've all had this experience as Christians. We've experienced the light of Christ dawning on a dark world. As the prophet Isaiah said, Arise, shine, for your light has come. We've felt the presence of God's love through Christ in our fellowship with one another in the church. We've sat across the table from Christ and have been fed by him at his table during communion. Epiphany reminds us that like the Magi, we've received this wonderfully unexpected gift of God's own manifested light and love that comes down to each of us. This light, this love never leaves us, and God continues to kindle this shining light throughout our lives, in the deepest valleys and the highest peaks alike. Now, once we put ourselves in the footsteps of these magi, as Matthew seems to want us to do, the question then becomes, how do we finish their story? Are we willing to let our lives be forever changed by an encounter with this light? Are we willing to go down another road? Friends, this admittedly is a big ask as we begin the first week of 2020. A week where we're, we're coming off a, a, a week where acts of violence, even in houses of worship, continued division and hatred towards neighbors, and new international conflict dominated the news. It seems there's always plenty to be afraid of. There's always plenty to be concerned about. But, if we are willing to let our experience of God's true light change us forever and guide us down a different path, this means not letting ourselves be guided by the fear of the world. It means to be guided instead by the love of God seen by these magi so long ago. It means being engaged with the problems of our world, working for peace and well-being for all of God's children, praying for our leaders and those around the world, shining God's light and love throughout through every aspect of our lives and everything we do. It's safe to say being led down a different road doesn't mean being led down an easier one. As I said, it is a big ask, but it's precisely where Matthew's story of Christ's birth will lead us, as just after this text, we learn that Herod orders the slaughter of all Hebrew children under the age of two to retain power. This leads the Holy Family to seek shelter and refuge in Egypt, thus recreating the the, uh, narrative and story of the Exodus. Thankfully, friends, we never go down this different path alone. Just as the Magi were forever changed by their encounter with the Christ child, so are we forever changed by our encounter with God's love and light in Christ. This, friends, is a gift that keeps giving because Christ's love and light will never leave us, even and perhaps especially when we are sad or suffering or afraid. God becoming flesh in Jesus means that God has taken on our existence. In Jesus, we know that there is no joy or sorrow that we can experience that God hasn't already taken on. As such, we know that God is with us in all of it. As Paul said to the Romans, there is nothing, nothing in life or even in death that can separate us from the love of God in Christ. Friends, in Christ, God's love, God's light has come into our world, forever changing all who experience it. As we are led by this light down a different road, may we be comforted, strengthened, and empowered by God's continual presence in our lives. As the prophet said so long ago, friends, arise, shine, your light has come. Let us go live with this truth. Amen.